The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Let's start with the lead story. And it's, it's a story that very much has been dominating all of the newspapers. It's on the front page of every single newspaper today. It's uh, been carried on every TV station as well. And that is the fact that we now know who the body belonged to in that jail cell that was ostensibly that of Tabo Besta. So the family of Katlejo Bereng have been speaking to the media. Katlejo Bereng is clearly now the person who died so that Tabo Besta could escape. Besta managed to break out of the Mangoong Correctional Facility last year after faking his own death. He set fire to his cell. A body was found inside that cell. It was initially believed to be Besta's. DNA testing was done and it's emerged that it belonged to Katlejo Bereng Mpolo. And uh, the family of Katlejo Bereng have done a sit-down interview with Eyewitness News. Mpolo's mother and grandmother speaking as well, saying that they last saw their son in March and they searched for him. They searched for him for months and now they know what happened. Veronica Mahaudi, EWN reporter, has been speaking to the family. Veronica, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, tell us about the family. You went to go and see them in the suburb of Bloemfontein where he grew up. Tell us what they've been saying to you. Well, thanks very much, Mandy. Um, I think the best way really to, to describe it is the way they spoke about their son. Uh, you know, you could really see there was a lot of endearment and a lot of love in regards to, you know, who this young man was uh, that I guess, you know, um, in circumstances that we are still yet to find out and how he ended up in trouble based cell. But essentially, Mandy, the family is really, really uh, heartbroken to say the least. And you would think after a year of searching for your loved one, and I think obviously watching the news unfold of Tabo Besta, like the rest of South Africa, and really wondering, you know, just gosh, what a shocking story. You need to find out that, you know, within that story is your son, is your loved one, that you have been pleading for uh, with authorities to help you locate him or to find him. Uh, searching frantically between hospitals and mortuaries, uh, between inside uh, the free state and housing, looking for him. And Maggie, really what um, we've just been getting from, from the family is that you would think there would be a sense of closure now that they have found him and once now for Africans to be able to identify the body that was found in Tabo Besta cell. But I think, Mandy, what I can say from just being with the family, I am with them now as well as we speak this afternoon. There is a deep, deep wound here, Mandy, and uh, it, it's really something that they are struggling to come to terms with. Um, I spoke to the grandmother, and essentially what I can say, Mandy, while we are here, we are making our way, in fact, to the mortuary, and there is really a sort of sense of an, an ominous feeling. While they are grateful they have found him, there's almost sort of a feeling that something worse is yet to come, and I think that could be because of the state of his body. Let's just have a listen to what the grandmother had to say about the way in which his body was handled, and this is my deity, on that matter. Mm-hmm. 
Veronica, are you with the family now? They're going to the mortuary. What have, what have they been saying about what actually happened or, or what they've been told about what actually happened to him? So, Mandy, they're really still searching for those, that kind of clarity from police. Uh, and they've come out to tell eyewitness news that they really haven't heard much from the police themselves in essentially as to what has happened. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, very blatantly, the family has spoken about, of course, uh, Nandi Pamagudumana's role in this uh, and saying that they had asked the police that, you know, who removed my child from the mortuary? And they said that the police confirmed to them that it was indeed uh, Nandi Magudumane that did so. And, and really, Mandy, the, the kind of pain that they feel and just trying to understand this, just as much as South Africans are to say, you know, what would drive a person to go to such you know, desperate lengths, um, you know, to, to, to carry out this, 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 this very daring escape. And while you're doing so, you know, hurting families while you are doing this um, and really taking, you know, victims along with you. So we're hoping, Mandy, to get some clarity this afternoon with the family in regards to the burial process that will happen for Kateho. Uh, we're also hoping, in fact, um, that they will be able to release his body to to the parents who, I can tell you, Mandy, there is really a sense of fear and, you know, a terrifying reality that they have to face this afternoon. Veronica, thank you very much. Uh, Veronica McCarty, EWN reporter who is in Bloemfontein. She's been speaking to uh, the family there. And uh, Bering's grandmother speaking about her reaction to the crimes as well, allegedly committed by Dr. Nandipa. Nandipa. Uh, let's have a, a listen to another piece of audio that Veronica has sent us. <laughs> That audio is so, so haunting. And this now speaks to the fact that if you ever thought that this was a victimless crime, it certainly is not. Uh, and all the fascination with Tabo Besta and Nandipa Magudamana, this is what it comes down to. The fact that Katlejo Mpolo, his family has been looking for him. Finally, they have some closure because they know what happened to him. But his body was allegedly used by Tabo Besta and Nandipa Magudamana to help best to escape. And now we know who that body belonged to. That was one of the big questions hanging over this entire story. And the prosecution in the case against Nandiba Magudamana and her father and Besta and the former G4S security guards as well. This is one of the charges brought against them. And this is a conviction that will have to stick. The Midday Report. The ANC's NEC meeting over the weekend, a long meeting, they uh, discussed the electricity crisis. As I mentioned, the president using his weekly newsletter today to speak about that as well. We know that was one of the key things discussed. And then this morning, uh, we've also had a commemoration. Today is 30 years since O.R. Tambo passed away. So there was a wreath-laying ceremony in Watville in Ikurileni, attended by the President and also uh, by the Gauteng Premier Panyaza Lasufi. Ndaedzo Netonje, EWN reporter, following all of that for us. Ndaedzo, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. We've had a briefing now. Uh, the ANC Secretariat has been announcing changes to how the Tripartite Alliance will function. We've heard about the ANC NEC meeting as well. What was discussed? 
Yeah, good afternoon, Mandy. So today's uh, uh, press briefing by Philip of Hitler um, basically was uh, on the reconfiguration of the alliance. Uh, they're taking a stance to say they disagree with uh, the SA uh, Communist Party on it wanting to contest elections alone. But uh, Hitler basically saying if that is to happen, you are then going to the voters and saying, when there are challenges between your mother and father, you need to choose between the two uh, in reference to the SACP and the ANC. So a lot to be said there. Um, the SACP, on the other hand, was not part of the discussion here at uh, Boxburg. Um, and it will be interesting to hear what their stance is on this issue of the Reconfiguration Alliance. Of course, over the weekend, uh, uh, like you mentioned, there, there were issues around um, the electricity crisis. Jose Ramokopa, who is the Minister of Electricity, did make representations here at this National Executive Committee, but also the issue of uh, the coalitions in, um, across uh, the Aitihang uh, councils across the country was also discussed, and we got a briefing from um, David Makura, who is heading that part of discussions as far as the NEC is concerned. So a lot uh, has been discussed over the past couple of uh, days at this National Executive Committee, Mendy. And uh, so in terms of those coalitions, so what is the ANC saying about who it will go into coalition with and what the terms of that may be? So um, what uh, the ANC is essentially saying is that they're not writing off any political party um, uh, to go into coalition with. They do, however, have what they have defined as red lines. Um, and uh, Makura went to make examples about uh, those uh, red lines. One of them, uh, Mandy, saying, if you've got a party that does not understand that race in a country plays a critical role um, in the socio-economic uh, uh, situation that South Africa finds itself in, then we will have a problem with that party. If you have a party that does not understand the rule of law and thinks that you can just go and do as you please and disregard the country's constitution and the country's laws, then we'll have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Those were the so-called red lines. And I think you and I, between uh, the lines, we can read what that means. Hmm. But they say we're not writing off any political party. And uh, so thank you. And I Netonje, EWN reporter, who's been at the uh, that ANC briefing. As I mentioned, also, the ANC has been commemorating the 30th anniversary of the passing of the late struggle veteran, Oliver Tambo. The president's been speaking uh, at that event at the Tambo Memorial, saying the ANC needs to be dedicated to defeating poverty, unemployment and inequality. Have a listen to what he had to say. If we are to defeat poverty, unemployment and inequality, we must demonstrate the same dedication that O.R. Tambo did when he was given the task of rebuilding the African National Congress. As the ANC, we have embarked on a journey of renewal and rebuilding. We must ensure that the act of joining the ANC is a more meaningful and valued process. The President speaking at the commemoration for the 30th anniversary of the passing of Oliver Tambo. The Midday Report go to the Gauteng High Court now, the South Gauteng High Court, because a conviction much...
anticipated today of the child sex abuse ring kingpin Gerard Ackerman. He was charged with over 700 accounts. Uh, let's have a listen to what the judge in this matter had to say, Judge Ishmael Mohammed, finding Gerard Ackerman guilty of forcing young boys to make child porn. Down 640 to 641. These counts relate to the creation of child pornography. Several children testified that the accused requested them to make videos of themselves in a naked state. See the evidence of TW paragraph 9 supra, WS paragraph 18 supra, TC paragraph 13 supra, and the accused himself admitted that he asked his kids and in some instances directed them to make these videos. The accused is therefore found guilty on these counts. That was the judge handing down judgment. Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter in a court for us. Khomotso, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Speak us through that judgment and what some of the key findings are. Good afternoon, Mandy. So it's a pretty lengthy judgment. And as you can imagine, I mean, there's about 738 counts here of crimes, including rape, attempted murder, sexual assault, exploitation of a minor. Um, and so he's been convicted of about Seven, over 700 of those. There have been um, some of the counts where he has been acquitted, and it's only particularly because of the duplication that may have happened in the charging from the NPA. Um, there have also been um, acquittals, uh, you know, as a result of, um, uh, yes, firstly the duplication, but also uh, we heard uh, Judge Mohammed Ismail speaking about how some people didn't testify. Some victims hadn't come to court to testify, and so certain charges or certain counts could not be proven in court or tested in court. However, generally, the big win for the NPA, um, particularly around the charges of attempted murder and rape, the charge of attempted murder emanates from the handing over of boys, one as young as 14, Andy, uh, to Paul Kennedy, who was HIV positive. Now, we heard from Gerard Ackerman, who said that, you know, he had told the boys about um, Kennedy's HIV status, and so he, you know, doesn't see anything wrong with what he did. However, the judge, you know, was really, really scathing in his remarks around that, speaking about how, firstly, Ackerman is a blatant liar, in that he said there was no sex in the business of his, and then he goes on to speak about how he told the boys about the HIV status of Paul Kennedy, there's this clear inconsistencies in his testimony. But the rape charge is also a, a big one here because Ackerman has denied at certain points ever having sexual intercourse with the boys. And then at another point, he then does admit to um, you know, having sex with them. In a sense, it's not even having sex, maybe it's rape because these were underage boys. So, you know, we heard from the judge today about just how inconsistent he was in his version. And we've also heard from the judge about how he took the stand under oath and blatantly lied with a straight face. And, you know, there's been very little sympathy from the judge, mm. uh, you know, regarding that. And I think another big matter here, Mandy, really, is that, you know, Ackerman wasn't the only accused in this matter initially. Um, he was supposed to be tried alongside uh, Paul Kennedy, advocate and acting judge, who died by suicide last year while he was out on bail. And we heard from the judge about how he feels he'd be remiss in his duties if he didn't give comments on the role that Paul Kennedy played. Kennedy was one of the main clients in this child rape ring that Ackerman uh, ran. And you know, we heard Judge Mohammed speaking about how he just brought such shame to himself, but also to the profession that he represented, which is the legal profession. And he's spoken about how really, you know, this is absolutely shocking. And uh, usually we don't speak ill mm. of the dead, but he says he couldn't keep himself 
from just detailing just how horrible an act this was to be done by a professional who's supposed to be protecting the rights of others. We know that Kennedy was a human rights lawyer. And so, you know, this, of course, just adds quite a spin to the story to see how this person who had the power to protect abused it and abused these very vulnerable boys. Yeah, Humoto, I remember when the story first broke in the legal fraternity, the, the sheer shock from people that, that Paul Kennedy was implicated in this, and now this conviction, and the judge making a point of mentioning that today, very much an indictment on, on Paul Kennedy. Um, I'm interested to know how Gerard Ackerman reacted today, because you brought us some audio of him last week, uh, where he, he seemed very flippant today, even in the docket, his appearance was that he didn't really look too perturbed. How did he react to the conviction? You know, he's been really consistent in his reactions. He's kept his poker face throughout his trial, from time to time shaking his head, um, raising his hand. And today we saw him once or twice raising his hand. The first time he wanted to ask for permission to be seated. Um, so he stood for, you know, quite a bit of um, the first part of the judgment that was handed down. And Judge Ismail already just showing very little patience with him, saying, you've got no business raising your hand. What do you want? Today is the day for you to sit down and listen to this judgment. And then we did hear Ackerman saying, yeah, I want to ask to sit down, you know. And then later on, he then, um, you know, I think he was stretching at some point. Again, Judge Ismail saying, why are you raising your hand? What do you want? And he said, um, I, you know, he, I, I'm not raising my hand. Um, but, you know, he's been very, very, uh, very nonchalant, very showing, showing very little emotion. Mm. He still insists he did nothing wrong. In fact, man, you know, last week when we brought you that recording of him in court where he said the boys knew that um, uh, uh, Kennedy was HIV positive and the boys knew what they were getting themselves into, the judge has, is not happy or pleased about that at all. He's spoken about how Ackerman is all over the media showing no remorse, mm. insisting he did nothing wrong, even though there's overwhelming evidence against him. Humoto, thank you. Humoto Medisa, EWN reporter in court for us, where Gerard Ackerman has been convicted. Let's get reaction now from Luke Lamprecht from Women and Men Against Child Abuse. Luke, good afternoon to you. This is a, a case that has very much been in the spotlight of Women and Men Against Child Abuse. How significant is this conviction? Well, for us, it's extremely significant, Mandy. And the, the main reason for that is, you know, the, the president in his ongoing fight against gender-based violence has you know, kind of made it clear that in his five-point plan, he wants a victim-centric system. Now, in most instances, we see victims sort of coming last in criminal justice systems. And in this case, this conviction basically said we wholly accept the evidence of the victims, the criminal justice system, as well as the parents, and we wholly reject the evidence of the accused. And when we step into a criminal justice system, people are innocent until proven guilty. And in this case, the victims were found to be telling the truth and the accused was found to be lying. And for us, that is such a significant message to send to other victims to say to them, the system can work, please use it. And equally, it's an incredibly important message to the would-be offender, because we will find you and we will, we will find you guilty. And I think the 160 men that are part of Ackerman's clients need to know that we have not forgotten that they are still there and that the criminal justice system is going to come after them. And even if you die, there will be 
judgments or there will be opinions about your participation. And that's really our final point. Like in the Frankel matter where there was even a finding against Frankel's estate in terms of the Frankel 8 case, in this case the judge said he was tormented about whether to mention the role of the acting judge and uh, senior advocate Paul Kennedy, but he felt he had to, to give closure to the victim. So even in uh, Advocate Kennedy's death, he said he had responsibility for this, uh, these crimes being committed, and he degraded himself, he degraded the profession of attorneys and that of judges. And while agonizing, he said he felt he had to say something so that the victims could know what the court right. felt about what was done to them. Luke, that's such an interesting point that you make because you made reference to the Frankel case. And, of course, that is the case mm. against uh, Sydney Frankel, which changed the law um, around mm. around this very issue. And there mm. um, the complainants or um, the, the victims made a claim against his estate. Could there be a claim Sorry. by the victims here against Paul Kennedy's estate? Look, I'm sure there are civil attorneys um, floating around in the background who are going to certainly come forward now and say, you know, because of the amount of harm caused to these children and the the exploitation of their vulnerability, you know, you would think that there needs to be some form of financial compensation. And I'm sure there are civil uh, civil attorneys that will take that up. Mm. The other point that related to the Frankel case that was is also very significant is what we must remember is these were boy victims of men. And one of um, Ackerman's defenses was that, A, it was consensual, they knew what they were getting into, etc. But the second thing he made a claim to, which was, I mean, I'm sure every gay male in the, in the city, the country, and the world will take serious offense to it. But basically what was said was that this is common within the gay male population. So the idea that this is normalized is actually quite terrifying. Yeah. 160 high-profile people who frequented this bottle, boys were rented out, transported across the country to do it. I mean, and, and that the likes right. of the advocate Kennedys of the world involved, it's, it's terrifying. Luke, thank you so much. Luke Lamprecht from Women and Men Against Child Abuse reacting there to the conviction of Gerard Ackerman. Significant. And what he says there is something we need to remember, that the criminal justice system does work. This is an example of a conviction where somebody has been convicted. It isn't always broken. The Midday Report. On the converse, let's look at a case where there has not been justice yet. The trial against the men charged with the murder of Sindiso Magaka, amongst uh, other offences. So there's other cases there as well. That was due to begin in the Peter Maritzburg High Court. And you'll remember, of course, Sindiso Magaka was a politician. He was a councillor. Uh, he was gunned down in 2017. So that trial was due to start today, uh, long overdue. His friend and whistleblower, Tabiso Zulu, uh, joins us now. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for making time to speak to us today. This trial did not start today. It's been postponed. Why is that? Uh, good afternoon, Mendy, and good afternoon to the listeners. We, when we were in court, we, it was later discovered that one of the accused uh, had been arrested um, for another matter. I think he was arrested over the weekend. So he is still in custody. He is going to, he was appearing in court today. Then an arrangement was made that he must um, uh, come to court tomorrow. Then uh, the trial in, in my late friend is uh, Macha will proceed. The, the guy that is in custody is the very same guy who have caused some other numerous uh, postponements before where there were, there were allegations that uh, he is uh, 
mentally unfit to stand trial, then that had to be determined. And it was later determined that uh, he is mentally fit, but all that he does is, is, is that uh, Dacha and uh, other drugs are... Right. Him. So it's been almost six years since uh, Sindiso was was killed, since he died. Um, we know that he spent some time in hospital uh, after being shot. Um, what is the sense you've got of, of where justice is here? We understand that Sindiso's uh, mother also, um, this is affecting her health. Why is it taking so very long? Look, man, it's, it's in twofold. One is that... Uh, you you appreciate the fact that in South Africa uh, an accused person still have got certain rights, but what is unfortunate is that uh, when those rights are starting to affect the the the, the victims' family who are seeking justice, because every reason that they bring forth the defence that they bring forth every time they need the the, the postponement are reasons that at times it will be very difficult to argue against. Not that they are correct, but they are entitled uh, in, in law to, to ask for, for, for them. But I, we also feel that there is a delaying tactic, but it's a delaying tactic within the, the, the limits of the law. It's very bad. It's affecting the, 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 the mother of the Cindy so very badly. Her health has deteriorated. It's affecting many of us because you spend a lot of money, you travel, you move around, you organize how, what you are going. I mean, you spend a lot of money organizing to go to court. Tabiso, thank you very much for making time to speak to us today. Tabiso Zulu, a friend of Sindiso Magaka and whistleblower as well. He was in court today. That matter has been postponed. The Midday Report. Nklankla Mabaso, EWN uh, KZN reporter, also in court today. So he's watching that matter. He's also watching uh, in the same courthouse uh, suspects appearing in court for the shooting of 10 family members in KZN last week. Uh, we spoke about that on this show. Nklankla, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, different courtrooms, uh, but two matters that you are looking at today. Uh, firstly, just give us an update there on the Magakka trial as well, as we heard from Tabiso, that's been postponed. Well, of course, Mandy, in a courtroom, in a packed courtroom with Sidney Somakanta's relatives and his supporters, you recall that at the time of his killing, he was an Umzumkulu counselor here in Guazulu Natal, Charlie Sozulu, his best friend, and also his blower, also in court. The former mayor, uh, I mean, uh, the current mayor, rather, Chabili Nisiya of Umzumkulu, you recall that she was in the exact same car with Sidney Somaka when Sidney Somaka was shot. In fact, she was also injured. During that uh, um, incident, she's also expected to be one of the state witnesses, which I expected to take the stand as of tomorrow morning. But the case had to be postponed to tomorrow morning because I choose the number three, Mlungi Singalane, who's uh, part of the three that were out of bail. You'd recall that some of them were given bail last year, and the family was not really happy about that particular incident. So he's currently facing other charges at a different court. He was appearing today in the Bamapumulo Magistrates Court for a domestic violence case. Uh, we believe that he, uh, he assaulted his sister who then opened the case. So this particular court case uh, came at the same time with his appearance on that particular one. Hence why he was not in that respect mm. to the so, Nkankla, that was in the, the High Court, and then in the, the, the neighboring uh, magistrate's court, we've had mm. two people appearing for the Mbali shooting that claimed the lives of 10 family members last week. Tell us about that court appearance. Well, maybe only one of them, you'd recall that two years were arrested, but one of them, a 27-year-old man, 
who cannot be named until the police are done with their identity parade, which we believe will be done this week. As for accused number one, there's no actually clarity in the matter as to where he is, but we do hear that uh, he, we do know that he was not in court. There were also some, you know, uh, I mean, we heard from sources that he was released after questioning. Some are saying he's in hospital following that questioning. So today in court, the 27-year-old man appeared. He told uh, he's now attending the, the, the lady from legal aid that uh, he was assaulted by police on Friday. He showed the magistrate, after he's been asked to show proof, he showed the magistrate what rather appears maybe like very old um, scratches and, and blood stains that were on his trousers. Police forcefully took him to the central point where they took videos and, and footage. He also says police warned him not to be smart with the medical doctors that he went to see because whatever there he will give the doctors, they too will have a look at it. So that matter was in court today. We do believe that he's, uh, well, police say he's linked with the killing of 10 people. We know that he's facing 10 counts of murder and as well as um, attempted murder charges. But also, maybe very interestingly or intriguing is that he is currently facing a different charge in the Howick Magistrates Court, where he was arrested for being in position of illegal firearm. Now he's being arrested for a murder case and, of course, being in position of an illegal firearm is expected mm. to return to court next month for this matter. In fact, thank you. In fact, I'm Abbaso, KZN EWN reporter in Peter Meritzburg, updating us on both of those court matters. The Midday Report. Well, let's shift from the courts to politics now because Action SA has urged the Democratic Alliance to rethink its approach when it comes to coalitions in the city of Joburg, and it says the DA needs to do the right thing. Uh, this is in response to a communication, a letter that has been sent by John Steenhazen, which uh, effectively says that the DA will not go into a coalition with the Patriotic Alliance to get rid of the ANC and the EFF uh, in Joburg. Remember, there is a motion of no confidence in the mayor, Tepelo Ahmad, and the speaker as well. Um, there was a meeting on the 19th of April with the leadership of the DA and Action SA and the Patriotic Alliance and the IFP and the FF Plus and the ACDP to discuss the support for motions of no confidence. So let's speak now to the Action SA National Chairperson, Michael Beaumont. Michael, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. As far as you're concerned, is the DA's position uh, straight up and down? It will not go into an alliance with the Patriotic Alliance. Uh, and for that reason, you won't be able to get rid of the ANC-EFF uh, coalition, which means you won't be able to get rid of Tepilo Ahmad. I think, let's be clear, uh, our statement is a joint communication with the IFP and ACDP. We stand together with our coalition partners in expressing exactly that concern, Mandy, which is, that this is the time in which we are being called upon by the DA itself to work together to prevent an ANC and EFF doomsday coalition, they have called it, in 2024. And the decision to back away from the opportunity to remove the ANC and EFF in Johannesburg, who govern through this proxy to Pelo Ahmad, is just nonsensical, both from the views of the residents of Johannesburg who have pressing challenges that need a clear, coherent vision, but also from a point of view of national politics. How do we sell the credibility of this moonshot pact if it's going to pass up the very first opportunity to perform this stated intention? Johnston has been clear that uh, the DA will do whatever necessary to keep the EFF 
out of power, uh, which means that uh, it would apply to an EFF coalition too, I imagine. John C. Nezen, of course, is not here right now, so I don't want to speak on behalf of him. But as, as far as, as Action SA and, as you say, the IFP and the ACDP are concerned, without the, the DA, are we going to now see Tepelo Ahmad continue as the mayor of Joburg? It's entirely a possibility, and that's why we are calling on the DA to change their approach and do the right thing. Because while the DA says that they will work at all costs to prevent the EFF being in government, the EFF is in government in Johannesburg right now. They have members of the mayoral committee, including in public safety. Uh, And at the end of the day, if the DA is serious about what they are saying publicly, the option is on the table for them to join the likes of all these other political parties to vote these, these parties out of government and to put in place a new coalition in Johannesburg. Because more important than what people say is what they do. Michael, thank you very much. Michael Beaumont from Action SA. He's the national chairperson and Action SA, IFP and the ACDP in that joint statement urging the DA to rethink its approach when it comes to Joburg and it says do the right thing. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know. This is the Midday Report.